right, welcome back to another episode of Hammering Down. This is a really exciting pre-match preview. Um, I say this every single time I have other content creators on the show, but I mean it every single time that there are so many amazing USL content creators out there um, that could give just about anybody a run for their money. And these two guys are absolutely two of those people. I am being joined by two of the best in the biz uh, coming out from Oakland, California. Really nice place, by the way. I loved when I went out to Oakman, uh, Oakland. Um, Oakman is a place that I grew up near, not Oakland. Jeez Louise. That's a niche joke that only a few people are going to get from in this uh, podcast, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> um, I'm being joined by Aaron and Peter, uh, Oakland Roots blog, and the Oakland Roots cast, or like the Roots cast. So, what's up, guys? Hey, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, I want to throw it over to Aaron first, because you do have the uh, Aaron or the Oak Roots blog in your thing. So, if if you're watching this, you can see that. If you're not, uh, go follow at Oakland Root or Oak Roots blog. Um, What exactly is the Roots blog? Uh, The Roots blog is a place where... Uh, Peter and, and one other fellow, John, we we get together and we we just you know shoot the shit about the the Oakland Roots. We um, dunk on other teams. We we make as many as many jokes and as memes as possible about USL soccer and and the Oakland Roots specifically, and you know try to have a good time while doing it. And hopefully, you know, we provide maybe a, a little bit of space for uh, the fan base to. We provide something that sort of centers the conversation the fan base is having about the team that, that, you know, provides a jumping off point for some of the conversations you might see on Facebook or on Twitter about the Oakland Roots, but, but someplace where, you know, you, you're going to get uh, a thorough conversation about what's happening on the field and, and a lot of what's happening off of it too. And we're definitely going to be talking about, you know, where those worlds collided in a little bit. Um, but one of the people you talked, just talked about uh, Peter, um, he is a guy that, hey, Legion fans, uh, get excited. This is a guy who's not from uh, Oakland. He's actually from L.A., Lower Alabama. Ha ha. Who has, whose <laughs> grandpa hasn't told you that joke before? Peter, man, how you doing? I, I'm doing well. Yeah, uh, I am, as, as far as I know, the only uh, Crimson Tide Oakland Roots crossover fan. Uh, but uh, I'm re- representing as best I can, I guess. <laughs> Hey, that's okay. Hey, look, I just, I'm a, I won't lie to you. I am, st- I just went to the Alabama Vandy game this last weekend and I stayed for a quarter and I was exhausted and I was sitting there thinking, how did I do band here for four years and like get up the next day? How did I go to 55 to three games and enjoy myself? Why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> 55 to 3 is like probably easier to sit through when you're like 20 and the alternative is homework. Yeah. Yeah. Getting up the next day for work or the couple days later. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man. But yeah, you guys have been one of the staples of, I guess, USL content creation, and also lower league because Oakland Roots. For people who don't really know, the Oakland Roots Project, um, and one of the things I had the luxury to do, uh, interview the coach of the 510 Project, which I thought was so cool. Um, But really the emphasis of Oakland, you know, building in Oakland, focusing on Oakland. This is all about Oakland. Um, I want to throw it to you first, Peter. Making the transition from, you know, NISA over to uh, USL, how was that kind of transition for the club itself? I, I, I mean, I think the, the transition was a little rocky. And the folks that we've talked to in the front office have said that uh, it was rocky. Um, they had the opportunity to make the jump earlier than they thought they did. And... Um, that created some problems. I mean, the most obvious is like the, the field condition that USL had higher had di- different standards, although there are different stories uh, depending on who you ask about what happened with that canceled sack game. Um, uh, sp- spoiler alert, the club thinks that it's sack's fault. 
but in any event, um, it, you know, it's it's funny because I like we, my wife and I started going to some some roots games when they were in Nisa, um, and then you know things were there was the the season with with COVID where it was sort of difficult to get out to games, um, and I was not anywhere near as involved with this team then as I am now. But when they made the the transition to to USL. Um, was about when when Aaron started getting interested and he made the suggestion that we should start finding a way to to cover this team as like a it's a thing that we can you know there, there's probably um appetite for that and b it's like a thing that he and I can do to light our time on fire um and uh you know spend hours on meaningless photoshop so that other people will tell us we're funny yeah, um, that's usually what I find myself doing a lot of times is spending a lot of hours looking for a little bit of clout. Um, I will say the Oakland Roots uh, entrance into the USL was USL memes photoshopping the pitch into the Oakland Roots uh, crest, which, I mean, hey, it was good. It was really funny. I'm sure for the Oakland front office, that was not fun. I'm sure for a few Oakland fans, it was like, uh uh-huh. But for the most part, you guys took it on the chin and and moved on. But like one thing I've always said, and I said it in actually my last episode, my post-match reactions of uh, Tampa Bay, the draw to Tampa Bay. Um, one, And I mentioned this because one of the guys that unused subs, Daniel, he has kind of retired from the podcast thing after doing it for eight years in lower league soccer and making a real – impact in this community one of the biggest things i think gives the usl this quote-unquote minor league feel um is oftentimes the media coverage how professional is the media work and that's one thing i do appreciate you guys is that you present the roots even though there is a lot of you know backhanded compliments to other teams and a lot of bad memes and stuff along those lines. When you get into the meat and potatoes of what you guys are saying, it is very professional. Aaron, I mean, whenever you guys started working on that um, in this project, how important was it to be a professional voice while also having fun with it? You know, it was, I'd say it was about 50, 50 when we originally envisioned this, um, Peter is the funny one of the group. So we knew that he could, he could handle that side of things. Um, I knew that if I tried to be funny, it was not going to come off as well. So I needed to find something, you know, slightly more in my wheelhouse. Um, and, and one of the way, one of the things that we found ourselves doing anyway, naturally, just as a consequence of doing this is we were rewatching all the matches and, you know, you might as well write, you know, the interesting stuff you see happening on the pitch, uh, when you do that, uh, in addition to making fun of the other team's hometown and crest, you know, it's, it's nice also to get, you know, when I have the time to, to write something that sort of introduces the other team, what can you expect to see on the field when, when, when these teams play? And, you know, I think they all go hand in hand. It's all part of the sort of the fan experience. You want to be uh, educated on what's going on in the field, but also have a lot of fun with it, you know, and I think that's kind of the attitude we've had the whole time. And, you know, we kind of, mentioned you know the transition and i think a lot of people would say the first thing they would say when they talk about the transition was rocky not just the pitch issues but just the play on the pitch right it at first it was rocky and then oakland started turning it around they started putting on defensive master classes and that kind of became the mo last year of like whoa oakland's a good team they ups they are going to upset somebody in the playoffs this is a team that got that's going to get rolling. And this year, it was another slow start. And I think a lot of fans expected, you know, we were getting a lot of the same players back. You know, we're making some key additions. Um, this is a team that ended the year hot. Surely, 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 this is a team that's going to go. And then you guys haven't. Luckily, the West is an absolute fuster cluck. And just no one's eliminated. No one's guaranteed anything except for San Antonio, which I don't even think they've officially clinched yet, have they? Uh, it's uh, so far away from us in the table, we're not even there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's it's just a ridiculous thing going on in the West right now. 
that you guys aren't officially out of it and you're starting to do the thing that you did last year with playing some of your best footy. And it's no coincidence that some of your best games have come since a little bit of a fire has been lit underneath this team. Um, and one former coach and hottest man in the USL, Juan Guerra, leaving to go to Phoenix Rising. Peter, you um, and Aaron were some of the people that were kind of not really releasing anything, but just sort of like, um, we kind of know what's going on. It's hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, all, all credit there. To the extent that we ever know anything, it's always stuff that we learn from our colleague, uh, John Como, um, who folks should follow on Twitter. Um, generally, he's just an actual reporter. That's um, right. Uh, he's at uh, Jonathan underscore Como, C-O-M-O. Uh, and he does actual reporting, post-game interviews and stuff like that. And so he... He knew some some stuff that was going on behind the scenes, but I mean, um, like Geta getting put on suspension was a surprise to to all of us. And then uh, he sort of pieced together pretty quickly that that meant that Geta was going to Phoenix. Uh, and you know, I mean, I I was a I was a defender or not a defender of Geta to the end, but I still. The, the night before he got put on administrative leave, we recorded a podcast where I said I was looking forward to his off-season build of the team. That's right. Um, I love – I feel like this always happens to me where I'll record something and then the next day something completely sweeps underneath me and it's like, great, that's already aged awfully. That happens to me a lot more than I like to admit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I think that – you know, like since he left, the roots are three, one, and two, and Phoenix are one, one, and four. Um, and they're they're dead now. I mean, they they're not like mathematically eliminated, but it's pretty obvious they're not going to get there. Um, and you know, maybe the roots' best game of the season was their their win at San Diego, the first game with Noah Delgado as the head coach. Um, so I don't, you know, I I don't know, I. I don't know if Gata's plan was working. Uh, you know, there was something there that made Phoenix want him. There was something that made the Roots want to steal him from Phoenix and then Phoenix to steal him back. But, you know, there's just... the oh, oh, We were still defending him. A lot of Roots fans were really upset with Gata. They really felt like he had taken this team a step backwards from last season. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think that the Roots are a better team than they were last season. I think everyone else is just better. Um, particularly, in, I mean, obviously Phoenix is not better. But, <laughs> and Orange County are not better. But I think that the general level of the Western Conference has improved dramatically from last season. And I think that the Roots have not taken a step forward to keep pace with everyone else. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's bullshit. Maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Yeah. I mean, it is this team is still very interesting. You have a guy who is very much in the conversation of a golden boot race. I mean, Ozar Carlson is just unbelievable. Um, you know, and then a guy that probably doesn't get talked about near enough. I mean, it's a uh, one Oscar. He is also incredible. Part one of the key parts of that cog. Um, when you talk about those two players, your two top goal scorers uh, this season, um, how does you know how does their kind of striking partnership work, Aaron? Well, I, I don't know that I'd call it a partnership. I think Carlson plays as a lone center forward, and he has um, I call it almost a magnetism. I mean, the, he he his movement in the box, in and around the box, can really kind of distort what defenses are trying to do and you know i i think even though he's got what 17 goals in the season now i think seven of them have come from the from the spot uh it if if i were not a fan of oakland i would say that feels like cheating but i think it is still reflective of his contribution to how this attack works anyway uh because when he's not in there it it is a lot more um 
it's not as clean. It's not as slick. It takes a lot more sort of um, elbow grease to get the ball into threatening areas. Uh, Azucar plays as a, um, a left wing back, and uh, he and, and Eduardo Rito, who plays on the right in the same position, I think they are the keys probably e- even more so than Carlson. They're the keys to Oakland's attack uh, if because that's where all the, all the width and all the movement is coming from. Uh, for the longest time, this and this is one of the um, one of the beefs I think I had with Guetta is that he's playing. You know, the the wings, the left and right wings in the forward line, were theoretically inverted, but they didn't play like it. Uh, and and we relied almost entirely on Rito and Azucar to sort of get into the half spaces, and they're totally capable of doing so. Uh, Rito is incredibly fast Azucar is wonderful uh working with formella typically on that side and jose hernandez that the left-sided uh midfielder frequently uh and when they are getting into threatening areas that's when oakland's plan is working i, I mean even, even post coaching change when those guys are getting into getting the ball into areas in and around the 18 yard box that's when oakland is is doing something right on offense and kind of to your point of that, there's one game, and I know people are going to look, and whenever I say that, it's going to be like, a duh. Um, but it's the New York Red Bulls game, right? Um, only allowing two shots all night. One of those being on target really wasn't much of a chance anyway. Um, if you want to look at that game and you want to you know put a gun to my head and say how what formation was this in the run of play i can look at you know the pre-match formation and tell you what it looked like i mean it was kind of just the standard you know like thing that they do out with the you know 343 that's just that's oakland roots but when you watch the game it was like a 361 <laughs> it was like it was the three. It was the three center backs playing wide as they always do, and then they had a six-man midfield. All of them were just kind of shoving balls up to, um, you know, Carlson. And there were some half chances going on. You know, some some interplay coming in through the middle, but everything was so spaced away and trying to funnel into him. It was kind of insane to watch. I. Obviously, you feel like if you are an opposing team, you say, you know, double, triple Mark Carlson, and you're probably good. But, I mean, you kind of mentioned um, uh, Eduardo uh, Rito. He's also another stud that you can't give him time off the ball because he'll either pick a pass or pick a corner, pick, you know, pick your poison. I, Rito is my player of the season. Uh, I mean, if, if the Roots win out and make the playoffs, then, you know, I could I reserve the right to change my mind. But barring that, uh, Rito is, is like a, a revelation. And un- unfortunately, uh, teams that have had success against Oakland have forced him, have, ju- have just prevented him from cutting inside. He's so fast, but he does not have the best cross and he does not have the most vicious like inside cut. And so, you know, opposing teams manage to just force him to the goal line and he won't make them miss and he won't put in a cross to Carlson. He has at times, and sometimes he he, he does manage to get that interior cut. The, the Red Bulls game uh, was frustrating to watch from the stands because they only had two decent shots on goal, basically. Um, they had, or at least in the first half, they had three or four shots that just went directly to the keeper's knees. Um, and just, you know, they like got into good opportunities and then didn't, didn't sort of finish with any kind of venom. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I wasn't impressed with the Roots last game. Uh, and I am nervous going into this Birmingham game. I mean, it, depending on, you know, if it's, you know, coach Wangetta or, or Noah Delgado, What's been the true downfall here? Because the one thing I keep saying on the USL show for people who maybe listen to me who don't listen to the USL show, every time we mention the Oakland Roots, the same thing keeps coming up. I see the names on the field, I see how they play, and it always looks good. 
but it doesn't. It always feels like they're always one moment away from being real USL contenders. And you can't say that about everybody. I mean, I'm may, I, I love my guys at Somos Mas, but like, New Mexico doesn't feel like that to me. They're sitting in fifth place, and I feel like they are nowhere close to winning a USL Cup this year. But it feels always feels like Oakland is just one thing away. It's not even a piece. It just feels like they're one pass away, one shot away from actually being real deal contenders. What's going wrong? That I mean, that's the $64,000 question. And I think it's why the fan base was – you know, not to beat a dead horse on this particular storyline. It's part of why the fan base was divided on Geta before he before he left. That a lot of people are like you, and I have many of the same reactions. You look at the team sheet and you're like, this is a talented team. And we've seen them put together really quality performances. Why does the record, why do the results not reflect what what you're seeing on the pitch? And part of it is just that for as potent and cohesive as the midfield and the forward lines have been the back line has just been prone to catastrophic errors once or twice a game and we have just had the misfortune of having other teams be particularly clinical in punishing those you know and that's you know that's that's what are you going to do right I, I think if there was a mistake made there the mistake was letting Kai Green go to Monterey Bay in the preseason but I, I think that the the center backs that we have on the roster now are the ones that, that both uh, get and Delgado feel are, are the right ones to accomplish what they, you know, what they're trying to get accomplished on the field. Uh, at the same time, one of the things we've talked about on, on our podcast a few times is that uh, accepting the last couple of games, because they have started, I think, to play with a kind of an urgency, uh, both to prove themselves in light of the coaching change and because the playoff race demands it. You know, it was a team that that was incredibly well drilled. They, you know, they they were running that three four three out there. It looked really good, but you weren't always sure if they had the 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 kind of inspiration you need to to make those magical moments, right? I mean, soccer is a game of moments, and and sometimes you just have to put the team on your back and and take the ball into the eighteen yard box and put it into the net. And it just it didn't feel like excuse me, enough guys were willing to sort of step outside of the system and and just do what needed to be done in a particular moment. At the same time, my God, how many games did they rescue in the final 15 minutes? I, I mean, it was, you know, I, I think on some level, perhaps it's just, it was the system working that day or not kind of depend, kind of dictated how things are going to go. Um, but I totally agree with you. They, they have looked really – I mean, they, they should have gotten more than a point out of their match against Tampa Bay Rowdies earlier in the season. They absolutely dominated Rowdies. When they hosted switchbacks, they dominated for the first hour and just couldn't put anything home, and then the dam broke going the other way. Um, the, you could point to, I think, three or four more results like that and say just, you know, <laughs> this is a, a matter of the other team being clinical in the wrong moments for Oakland and Oakland just not being clinical when – when they really need it, because overall, this is a they, they put together performances that suggest they should not be on the outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just very confusing to me. And Oakland has kind of continued this run of I think a lot of USL has found this fascination of the three man back line um, and this has kind of been the the symbol of Oakland roots kind of as long as I've known them at this point now, you know, they've, they've done the three man back line. They sometimes they'll let their wide center backs get up. Sometimes they won't, they can act like, you know, more of wing backs. Sometimes they'll just sit back lately. And maybe it's just because they're afraid of getting countered. Maybe they're afraid of the cast catastrophic failure that you've talked about. But last year when things were clicking, and even this year when things were clicking, we were seeing those center backs get more and more into the attack. Not necessarily acting like a striker, but you know, playing more like a defensive midfielder where they can win the ball, allow a defensive midfielder to roll up there, get in more into the attack. That's kind of why the New York Rebels game was so interesting because, like I said, it looked kind of like a 3-6-1, but everybody was so far up 
that those center backs, those kind of a rotating squad of we can get up here and we'll sit back. You go up here and we'll sit back. When it goes bad, it feels like they're all just waiting for the mistake to happen and they sit timid and they sit far back. They get pinned back into their own half for the last 30 so minutes and it all just kind of falls apart. Um, case in point, um, the Detroit City match earlier this year. I, that's almost exactly what happened. Gr- granted, Anton Opino is just a freak because he always scores in the 80th minute. And it's <laughs> just, that's just what he does. But that, I mean, does that seem pretty accurate to what you guys see? Well, one of the things I think that you've probably picked up on um, is that Geta, went, Geta wanted to be in possession of the ball. He wanted this team to, to dominate the ball. And part of doing that is pushing the wide center backs forward, I think, at least in his system. Um, because in, a, in an ideal world, Rito and Azakar are basically forwards, right? So you're, you're going to push you're going to push the wide center backs up and out to sort of continue the press. Noah Delgado, I think, has been very explicit that he prefers to not have the ball. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't said it in so many words, but I think after every single game, he's talked about continuing to work on the mid block, which suggests to me that he wants to be a counterattacking team. And I think it's in part because of kind of what you've you've picked up on. Like we don't <laughs> let's let's sit back and not have the mistake happen. You know, we have the guys to break forward, uh, and and that's probably you know. It, you want these guys in space. You want guys like Lindo Mafeka in space. You want Rito and Azakot in space. You want them to be in positions where Charlie Dennis can pick out a long ball and get them the ball. And that is more probably more efficiently accomplished, even if it's more infrequently accomplished by being a counterattacking team. And I think that's something they've started to do recently. It strikes me as as the right way to go. Even before Geta left, the matches in which Oakland looked less interested in dominating possession were when they looked best. I think El Paso uh, at home is the best example of that. Uh, it, I I don't know why he thought we needed to be in possession. Why, why Geta thought we needed to be in possession? I think perhaps it is, uh, you know, as we've also talked about here, this is a very talented team. You would expect them to be able to dominate the ball, but that just for whatever reason is not how they've been most successful this year. So I do think they're keeping those center backs back in the last handful of games to sort of facilitate this more um, counterattacking philosophy. I think a a difficulty with the roots uh, dominating possession has been inconsistency in central midfield. Um, The the roots have, have two defensive midfielders who sort of, it's hard to tell who's the first choice if they're both healthy, but they're both uh, they're both on the wrong side of their prime. And one of them is older than I am, which is geriatric. Um, <laughs> but and I, I I think that it's not that neither of the it's not that they're not good. It's that they have been hurt a lot, and so there's been replacement and there's been mid game replacement, and I think that makes it harder for the center of the system to work the way it's intended to. And then Jose Hernandez, who is the the sort of, I think the first choice uh, box to box midfielder uh, is maybe not the world's best possession guy. I mean, I think that he is really, I I think that he is really good, but I've seen some inconsistency in his game. And I think that part of that might be being a square peg in a round hole. I don't know if Aaron would agree with me on that. I think that's fair. Um, he was he excelled last year because Oakland was not trying to dominate possession most of the time. He's I mean that last year they wanted to really dominate the spine of the pitch. He was excellent at that. He was perfectly suited for that, but not as a um, a guy who's pulling the strings for ninety minutes, right? I mean he he is a good playmaker on the ball. He's he's good at keeping the tempo up. But I think I agree. He's maybe not suited to being the guy who's on the ball for 90 minutes every single game of the season. Yeah, I mean, there's certain ways that you can go about possessing the ball, right? And I think this is why, to me, uh, when it comes to culture of what fans expect, I mean, Phoenix, you know, kind of go back to Wangetta. I mean, Phoenix fans expect to hold on the ball to – Obviously, slight exaggeration. 75 percent of the game, 
and to be attacking the whole time. Meanwhile, you can go to another team that, you know, San Antonio, they want the ball no more than 10% of the time, but every single touch they have will go into the back of the net. Um, and then you have another version of that where you have Atlanta United too. And basically all the Atlanta Uniteds from senior squad all the way down to the academy where they traditionally have been possession only, but not necessarily in the sense of we're going to push everybody forward and out-possess you in your half, kind of like what Wangetta wanted to do with Oakland, in the sense of they. I've watched it so many times it hurt me that they would dribble up the pitch and they would get outside the 18-yard box, not see what they like, go back to their defensive mid, go back to their center back, go back to their keeper, and do that for 80 minutes straight until they finally found the perfect pass and the perfect shot to shoot. And there are certain ways to go about that. This Oakland Roots team this year seems like it'd be better suited for a system like that where it's poke and prod, find your moments, and you know, may, if you have to go all the way back to the keeper, go all the way back to the keeper. But it felt like get at times one just say, no, gas, all gas, no breaks. We're going to go forward, we're going to go forward. Oh, no, we got caught out again. And now it seems like the team's a little bit afraid of that. And I will agree with what you said about the central midfield with what I've seen. Because you have sometimes, you know, if you want to switch the ball from one side to the other, I mean, like you said, this is a team that emphasizes the wings. Nobody really attacks from the middle of the park. No one really goes to those true half spaces. Everything is either wide or dead middle. And in order to get from wide to wide, sure, you can do the long ball, but the chances of that getting intercepted or going out is pretty high. Um, So you have to put the ball into the middle of the park. And when you're not sure how that first touch is going to be or when you're not sure how – you know, if they'll make the right decision, are they going to try to go up forward too fast? Or are they going to miss a chance and go backwards? It felt like that really is kind of that center spine is kind of what's really been holding this team back. I I wonder, I, I have my doubts. I mean, I think that Rito and Asokar are two of the best players on this team, but I'm not actually sure that either of them makes that much sense in a possession-oriented team. I mean, the point of having incredibly pacey outlets is to punish teams on the break, right? And you can't do that if you're passing the ball around the, you know, the center circle. So I don't know. I mean, that might be that might be a combination of a a general manager and a head coach who didn't see eye to eye on what they wanted to do with the team. But I, you know, but I, you know, I'm pretty sure that Rito and Azokar were get as choices. And he's also the one who said he wanted to dominate possession. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer there. Well, and another thing that has changed sort of is sort of forced on, on Delgado once he became head coach, but you know, we had played for so much of the season with um, basically a, a, a six, eight double pivot with Hernandez slightly forward of, of Fisora Hernani, which is the two, um, older defensive mids Peter was talking about earlier. And one of the things that's happened more recently is that Charlie Dennis, who had played on the right wing, uh, he has moved back into central midfield and he seems, he seemed to take a couple of games to get his feet wet there, but he seems much more suited to that role. And it's, um, it's sort of odd that it didn't happen before. Uh, because he is the kind of guy who you would you would want there to sort of switch the field, to to help Fernandez keep the ball moving. Uh, he has a much he has a, a he's got a, an iffy first touch, but an incredible range of passing for this level of soccer. And it's it's sort of nuts seeing the way the team works now that he he wasn't tried more frequently in that role earlier in the season. It's. I mean, I, it's really too bad they've taken so long to sort of figure out where people fit best. Because I, you know, one of the things you mentioned up top, right now they're playing this last match, maybe notwithstanding, they're playing some of their best football of the season. They seem to have, they've, they've made some steps to really find their identity. It's just sort of frustrating that there's only four matches left or three matches, uh, however many matches are left before the playoffs. Three. Uh, you know, we're running out of time to get the necessary points, but 
it's looked all season like a squad that could do it if, um, you know, if they just sort of found their footing. Yeah, I mean, you can't talk about this Colorado, the last Colorado Springs game. Um, I, because of me doing the USL show and I am a sicko um, that loves notifications, I keep all the notifications on for every USL team, um, which is an event of and of itself. That's aggressive, uh, man. You're just like plugged <laughs> right into the USL matrix. <laughs> I am. I am in. And let me tell you, when I saw goal first minute, I was like, oh, no, Oakland is going to get switched back. (laughs) And then Oakland regained themselves. I as soon as I saw the first goal go in, I'm like, okay, we're turning this on. Let's see. Let's see what's going on here. Just a complete cluster in the back. And, you know, goal goes in. But Oakland kind of regained themselves. Did they look like scoring at all? Not really. But they also didn't exactly look like conceding from that point on to me. I mean, they didn't look amazing. I understand that. But it also felt like they kind of had themselves figured out. Like, okay, it that didn't that didn't start off well. But on the bright side, it can't start worse. So. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, until the red card, Colorado were not playing for the draw. And so I think that there is, you know, every reason to to be impressed with the Roots shutting down Colorado's attack following that first goal. You know, because like Colorado wanted three points. They didn't want one and they knew they needed another goal to get three points. And so I think, you know, it's not like. You know, it's not like the kind of team where if the Roots give a, or, you know, where if you concede one, the other team's going to be conceding possession and just, you know, whatever. Um, you know, that is maybe the the most egregious example of what we were talking earlier about, like, why aren't the Roots in a better position than it feels like they should be? And it's because they make these boneheaded errors and other teams punish them like 100% of the time. And, and this is the most extreme example of like a relatively pedestrian error followed by an absolute worldy goal 26 seconds into the game. And it's like, well, what the fuck, man? <laughs> everyone makes that turnover in USL and not everyone scores a, you know, Pushkas Award nominee. I, yeah. I can't believe that the Roots stayed in that at all. I, I really thought that I was going to be hammered at halftime with a four nil loss and the, crawling home. The the <laughs> thing that got me about that game and the moment that I thought was over for Oakland was it, it was not a sitter. It was not a sitter by any means, but I think it was around like the 30, 35th minute. Carlson had a shot right in front of goal. He had both sides to choose from and it just, didn't I mean it, it got blocked it, it was there but all it took was a first time shot or a dribble all he had to do was dribble the ball it was six yards away and just missed and I was like okay they just don't have it today it that sucks <laughs> you know and after that though they didn't fall out of it it Obviously, if you're a person that believes in XG, I'm not. Um, I think XG can tell you a a story of the season. You can find how much XG a team produces per match, and if a team has any, you know, bigger moments or like us or producing more or producing less, you can say, "Ooh, what happened different in this game?" But you take out the penalty, and which really inflates XG. Obviously, Oakland was still pretty competitive in that front with uh, Colorado Springs. I mean, there was a lot of shots, a lot of shots, not much done with them. But at least it's not a team that's not, at least it's not a team that's just going into their shell and completely giving up on shooting the ball. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a needed performance, you know, after the way that that game started, they had to come back. Uh, it would have been nice having gone up a man to get a winner at some point, but it, 
you know, this, this team does have a spine now um, and not, you know, not on the field, but like a metaphorical spine. And I, you know, I, I think this it's, it's why I still think they are a good bet to make the, the Western conference playoffs. Cause they, I mean, I think that they're every game, they, they know more and more about who they are and what they need to be on the pitch to, to win. And I, I think they, they, there's a steal about their game that might've been missing in the first part of the season when they, we're let's be real kind of still getting to know each other this is a team i mean a lot of usl teams do this of course but oakland is one of them this year it sort of came together late and um you know there's a, a lot of new faces and it was i think difficult to to integrate the new with the old at the very beginning of the season and and it's taken some time and um hopefully they've they've got it figured out enough to to get over the line at the end of this at the end of the day i think getting a point in colorado was um I call it necessary, but not sufficient, basically, for yeah. that goal. And I think a lot of Legion fans would agree with that assessment with our draw against Tampa Bay. Like, it's not a bad result. Nobody has – that was the first time Tampa Bay has dropped points at home since April. But a lot of fans would sit there and say, but, man, getting that home playoff game, you need to win those games. For Oakland, even though it's Colorado Springs – you still feel like you have to win that game, especially since you are two points behind RGV. They have a game in hand, and you're taking on two of the top five teams in the East to end the season. You know, that just feels like a moment that I think a lot of Oakland fans are going to really look back and say, we they'll either look at that performance and say, that's what turned this around because it was a – truly you know great performance at the end of keeping that team from scoring more than just one or they'll look back and say boy did we miss our chance we should be in the playoffs right now that result could flip it either way you know if there's one reason why i'm still really optimistic is that i feel like we had a moment like that last year against tacoma defiance we i think Everything we put on the blog going into that match was this is a must win. Like it's hard to see how Oakland makes the playoffs that they don't get three points in this game. And they didn't. And I think a lot of people sort of wrote off the season at that point. It was around the same time uh, as well at this same juncture of the season. And in, I mean, they got in by the skin of their teeth. Let's be real. They had to beat they had to beat sporting Kansas city. And then they had to have uh, orange County who had already clinched their spot. Like they, this game was meaningless for them they had to beat uh, LA Galaxy too, And they did in like the 85th minute or something. I mean, it was, it was as down to the wire as it could be really. Um, so I, this, my mantra has been, as long as it's still mathematically possible, anything is, you know, nothing, nothing is a must win until it is literally a must win. Yeah. yeah there's a chance. I was just looking at this again, like RGV's last four games are Louisville, Memphis, Phoenix, and Monterey Bay. And you could realistically see them getting zero points out of those four games, yeah. right? But a, a much more likely scenario is that they're playing Monterey Bay and the Roots need a draw because if either team wins, they jump the Roots to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where it's being played. If it's playing being played in Rio Grande, I mean, just it's Rio Grande's win is going to win because they have weird voodoo magic that happens there. Um, for obviously people who listen to this show, most of you are from Alabama. So, like, to get an understanding of what Rio Grande is for Western Conference teams, um, Rio Grande Valley is gives off the same voodoo magic of Jordan Hare. Um, it's the same thing like Auburn fans. That is RGV. That is just the same place. Um, teams just play weird. They go to die there. Why? They don't know. Is the team good? Not really. Do they win there? Yeah. They don't try. They don't mean to. They just do. <laughs> see, this is, this also doubles as a, as a Crimson Tide podcast, I see. Yeah. Well, sometimes, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> it's that time of year. That's, that's fair. <laughs> oh, man. Peter, I want to ask you, for people who are listening at home who have made it through 45 minutes, you know, who are the people for Oakland that they need to be circling? 
like who are like the three players that you know if they want to just say I want to watch just an Oakland Roots player for the next five minutes. Who are the three that you think they should be keeping an eye on? Um, I you know it's going to be the people we've already talked about. Uh, I think Rito um, is is the number one. I think uh, and and Carlson. You know, and those are sort of the obvious choices as the goals and assists leaders. Um, I mean, if you want to watch one player to see how you think that the roots are playing, the answer is probably Jose Hernandez. Because um, if he's if he's balling out, the roots are playing well. And if he is anonymous or talking his way into a yellow card, it's not going well for the roots. I think we should be clear that that all frequently he talks his way into yellow cards in good in good matches too. Yeah, that's really every match. <laughs> yeah, our working theory is that uh, he understands that there are promotions at away matches um, for fans when opposing players get uh, yellow cards, and he wants in on that action. Mm, he has some skin in the game. Yeah, that's like our a, thinking. A very low grade Pete Rose. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the Pete Rose that they'll never catch because no one seems to care. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um so look, this has been really fun. I mean obviously we kind of get to the very end now and it's the question that I think of a lot of Legion fans and you know people who are Oakland fans want to know. You know, going out to Oakland, this is a good team at home. This is a group with a lot of, you know, fun fans. I have a few of my friends who are going to their first Oakland Roots game that to, to this one. I'm super stoked for them. How do you guys think this game turns out? I'm going to start off with Peter. Uh, 1-1 draw. It's it's a terrible result for the Roots, but I think it's the one they get. Yikes. I'm I'm slightly more optimistic. I think the the rigors of uh of travel from from Alabama to the West Coast are going to that plus the fact that let's be real, Oakland needs this more. Obviously, Birmingham is in a fight of its own for playoff positioning, but you know Oakland's fighting for its playoff life, and I think those two things uh, ultimately make the difference. There will be a moment in the first half when we're definitely despairing because of some redonkulous defensive error. I, I have no doubt about that, but I think it'll be two one to Oakland at the end of the day. And I think a lot of Legion fans are like banging on the table and saying, this is worst case scenario. How could this happen? Because Legion fans still want their first ever home playoff game because screw the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, well, if, if we're doing this right, we'll be able to take care of them for you too. This is true. Um, I will say this relationship could be completely over if you guys beat us and then lose to Pittsburgh. That I will have a very strained relationship with Oakland. <laughs> Just refer us to a Pittsburgh podcast and we'll, we'll go talk to them instead. Yeah. Let's see. Those are the Mongols, which honestly, what an incredible name, Mongols. I mean, that's, that's a great name. That's a good um, one. But yeah, I, geez, I, People have heard me complain about Pittsburgh too many times now. They already know the whole rant. I've done it several times. They don't need to hear it again. Um, <laughs> I, I would have gone with Gila, but it's a, it's a little hard to pronounce. That's because we like really complicated jokes at Oakland Roots Block. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful stuff. Look, I've had an absolute blast talking to you guys. Um, we talked about it beforehand, but you know, where can the people find you guys? Uh, they can find us primarily on, uh, on the, on the World Wide web at, uh, what is, what is the URL? I actually oaklandrootsblock.com. It's, it's very straightforward. Uh, we're on Twitter at Oak Roots blog because, uh, Oakland Roots blog was, was taken. I think it's very strange, but Roots blog was taken. Roots blog was taken. That's right. That's right. Probably so we're Oak farmers. Roots blog on Twitter um, when I remember it, we also have, um, an Instagram page too, but I, I, the Twitter is definitely where you'll find us most, most active. Me too. I I have a hammering down has an Instagram account. I've always forget to use it because it's hard to type there. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. hard to, I don't have Instagram set up on my computer. 
and so I have to like in anything that I'm photoshopping, I have to like Photoshop, email to myself, open on my phone, and upload to Instagram <laughs> like I'm 90. <laughs> Truly, you know, 21st century problems. These are first world problems. Like, I can't believe I have to email myself just to upload a Photoshop picture onto Instagram. What kind of world do we live in? It's, it's rough. It's in a this modern- is how you know it's troubling that one of the defensive mids is older than us, though. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Peter, where can the people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Peter W. Bloom. Uh, but, you know. The, the Roots blog account is the one to follow. Uh, if anything I do is worth noting, he'll retweet it. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to this. I had a, like I said, I had an absolute blast. Um, I hope everybody else did too. Um, I totally forgot to do this last episode, so go ahead and get mad at me, people who are patrons. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I do want to thank Ben, Scott, Dylan, Matt, E, Harry, Sandy, Clay, Paul, Trent, Ray, Jury, Simon, Matt, A, and Zach. Thank you for being patrons of the show. I really appreciate you guys allowing me to do this. Um, if you wonder what this, uh, what your money goes to, I'll be honest with you. I am totally spending it on gas money to go see my fiance this weekend. But you guys allowed me to see my fiance this weekend. So thank you all so much. But like I said, follow Aaron and Peter on all of the things. The blog is incredible. The podcast is great. Um, It's really good stuff. And I can't thank you enough for listening. So thank you all again. And until next time, guys, keep hammering on.